article that you can find on the Abingdon Press website that speaks a little bit to what we're talking about this morning. It's the last article there. I've got that info at the top of your notes page. This morning, we are focusing only on 1 Corinthians 15. No time to do much else, so open your Bibles there, please. We are going to be talking about resurrection. Okay, resurrection. The event, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the event that has changed all of history. The world has never been the same. Within 300 years' time, that little tiny group of followers spread to a church that was the gospel spread throughout the whole Roman world and it still exists today right it's still spreading now here we're here right the spirit is still um, working and the church is still being expanded and Jesus name is still being proclaimed I left Easter Sunday service two days ago right having just heard the choir sing the hallelujah chorus and I kept thinking to myself, oh my goodness, if we would sing that song every single morning, <laughs> would that not make a difference of our life in our lives? And I think of what Pope John Paul II said, do not abandon yourselves to despair. We are the Easter people, and hallelujah is our song. It's to be our life song. It's a song that we sing every single day. The main point that I want you to get through our time this morning, that through Christ's resurrection, God has begun a new creation. The powers of sin and death have been defeated. We have been set free to serve Christ and others. The life-giving spirit indwells us, God's people. We are now Easter people, resurrection people, Sunday people. We are people that have been brought from death to life, who have died and been raised with Christ. We were asleep, and now we are awake and living in the light of the sun. We've been given a mission, right? I've been telling you that. We've been given a mission to reach the world with this good news that Jesus Christ is the Savior and Lord of all. There is no other. By his grace and sacrifice, he brings forgiveness healing, love, and life to those who trust in him. And we offer hope to the hopeless and love to the unlovable. And we get it because that's who we were, right? Okay, so we have to know that 1 Corinthians 15 is the climax of the book, right? It's the climax. And we find here that with the truth, the truth of the resurrection is the foundation of our faith. The truth of the gospel of the Messiah is that he came to earth, he lived, he was crucified, he died, he was buried, and he is now the risen Lord. We find that in verses 1 to 11 of chapter 15. As I mentioned before in the introduction, Paul bookends this letter with these key foundational truths of the gospel. Christ's death and resurrection. Okay? This is the foundation of our faith. Let's go ahead and read the first few verses of chapter 15 together. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. 
if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on, that, on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And then he goes on to list the resurrection appearances of Christ. The gospel, the good news of the crucified and risen Christ is the foundation of the church. This is the solid gospel on which they stand. Paul is reminding them. He says, remember, this is who you are. You are saved by God's grace given through Christ. It is the resurrection that proclaims that the cross was a victory, not a defeat. And Christ has been enthroned. He is king of the whole world. His kingdom has come in power. We see twice that Paul mentions here that this the story of Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection, is not the beginning of the story. This is He's come in fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures. God planned long ago for this, for this salvation to come through Jesus. And it was foretold through the prophets. We find this fourfold repetition of he appeared. It emphasizes the eyewitness proof that Christ was raised from the dead. He appeared to Peter, the 12, 500, James, Jesus' brother, and then last but not least, Paul. And it's as if Paul is saying, you know, most of these people are still alive, so you could go talk with them, hear their story. They'll give you the, the proof. They'll tell you what they saw. And I love that Paul so humbly says that he was the last eyewitness. Wow, he was the last one to see the risen Lord on this earth. And he goes on, and um, he says that in verse 8, and in verses 9 to 11, he speaks of how he is the one who's in most need of God's grace because he was persecuting the church. And then he says so beautifully, by God's grace, I am who I am. He is living proof because his life has been completely transformed by Jesus Christ. And then we go on to verses 12 to 19, where Paul says, well, if the Messiah was not raised, and we're thinking, well, what in the world is, where is he going with this? He knows that some of the Corinthians are having a hard time believing in bodily resurrection. They were being influenced, once again, by the philosophies of their surrounding culture. And the Greeks did not believe there was life after death. Many also had a dualistic view of life where they focused only on the spiritual because they considered that the physical was evil. Paul says in verses 13 and 16, if you deny the believer's resurrection of the body, then you are denying Christ's resurrection. And if the Messiah isn't raised, your faith is worthless, you are still in your sins, the apostles are false witnesses, and their preaching is in vain, as well as Christians who have died are still dead. Paul encourages the Corinthians to remember the gospel that they have believed, the good news that God has triumphed and accomplished their salvation, and it's through the resurrection. This is the foundation on which they must continue to stand. 
So the question that I have for us this morning, ladies, is are we allowing thinking from our culture to water down the gospel? We must continue to believe in the grace and the power of God. And then we move on in verses 20 to 28 to look at the resurrection as the source of our hope. Paul says Christ has been raised and you can be sure that his people shall be as well. The resurrection is the moment where God's kingdom has come. And heaven has broken through. Heaven is coming to the earth. It's the moment when God is putting the fallen creation back into proper order. He is making all things new. Jesus is enthroned as king of kings, and this new kingdom has begun. New creation has begun. And we know that Jesus is called the first fruits, right? He rose, and as our representative, we know that we will follow in resurrection as well. Through his resurrection, we have already been brought from death to life spiritually. And we can sure be sure that upon our death, in the, in the future, that God will raise us physically. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. I've got this quote for you in your notes. Christ, the first fruits, the pioneer of life, he has forced open a door that has been locked since the death of the first man, Adam. He has met, fought, and beaten the king of death. Everything is different because he has done so. In verses 24 to 28, Paul goes on to say, Christ's reign has begun, and it will be completed when he returns. So ladies, what I want you to understand is that the resurrection is not something that just took place once and is done. But the, well, it did. (laughs) Jesus died and he rose again, period, in that time. But it has effects. Is not God resurrecting you inwardly every single day? This is the kind of God that we have. This event has ongoing effects. And we can trust that our redemption and the redemption redemption of the whole world, of all of creation, will be complete when Christ puts all his enemies under his feet. And death is that last enemy. Christ's work will be done when death is destroyed. And through Christ's obedience to the Father, he will defeat all of his enemies, and then God, heaven will come to earth. God will reign over all, be sovereign over all. He will be all in all. His will will be done in every way. So, resurrection is our Christian hope. This hope, ladies, is not wimpy. It's our sure expectation that God will do just as he's promised. We have hope that those who died in Christ are with him now. We grieve over loved ones that we've lost, but if they trusted in Jesus, we grieve with hope. We don't just have hope for the future. We don't just have hope that we will be with God in eternity. That is part of it. But we must have hope now. We have hope now because we know that our God is in the business of making all things new. 
His plan will not be thwarted. We are part of this cosmic mission. He is doing this, making all things new all around the world. We have hope because we are sure that Jesus has defeated the power of sin and death. So we don't live ruled by sin any longer. We've been set free. And because of this, ladies, we will never see anyone as a hopeless case. Never. We can look at someone, maybe there's someone that you know and love that is imprisoned by their sin. And we have to be the ones that won't lose hope for them, who can continue to pray for them, who continue to say, God, I know that you can bring someone from death to life. This is what you do by the power of your great love. And so all I've been thinking about this week is this verse which is in the second letter to the Corinthians, which I'm hoping that you'll follow up with and keep reading when we're done with this study. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. God is in the business of making all things new, recreating you and me, recreating the whole world and offering that through Christ to everyone, to everyone. I know that you've got to be like me. We have this longing, don't we? We have this longing for that day when heaven does come to earth. And everything is redeemed and restored. And there's no more sin and sorrow. No more death. No more disease. All the things that have been corrupted in our world because of sin. No more suffering. And you read that passage, I think, in your study in Romans 8. I've just plucked out this one verse. Please forgive me. Not only the creation will be redeemed and restored and is longing for it, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions, adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We're longing for that day. And if you want to read some more, I've given you a few other texts there. Isaiah 65, 17 to 25, Isaiah 11 and Revelation 21 that give us this picture of what it will be like when Christ returns and the world is made new and we will be all that God designed for us to be. We also have to see that the resurrection gives us hope for life in the present as we find in verses 29 to 34. Some in Corinth were being baptized on behalf of others who had already died. If a Christian had died before being baptized, another Christian would be baptized on their behalf as a sign that that person who had died really did belong to Christ. 
Or it was, it's also possible that maybe a non-Christian friend decided to become a Christian, undergoing baptism so that they would be with their loved ones in the final resurrection. Whatever this practice was, thankfully it didn't continue. <laughs> we don't hear of it in any other time. But Paul's point here is he's saying that this practice would make no sense if, if there's no resurrection to look forward to. Also, we see that the hope of resurrection strengthens Paul and the other apostles to endure severe trials and persecution. He's saying, I put my life on the line because I believe that Christ is risen and that we are going to be risen with him and that one day all of creation will fully come under his reign. And then Paul quotes in verse 33, the poet Menander which, and this was a common proverb in the ancient world that says, bad company kills off good habits. What Paul is getting at here, and do we see the ongoing theme? Once again, the Christians in Corinth are there so that they can proclaim the truth of the gospel. And yet they've been influenced by the Corinthians. They're being more Corinthian than Christian. In when they say that they don't believe in bodily resurrection. And so they are supposed to be upholding the gospel. And they're believing a lie. They're falling way short of their, their calling. And plus, those who had been influenced by bad company, by their surrounding culture, are now having negative influence on those within the church. And so... Paul is definitely arguing with them, isn't he? He's saying, if the resurrection isn't true, baptism is a waste of time. Paul has been struggling, giving his whole life <laughs> unnecessarily. And so you might as well just eat and drink and, and wait to die. And then he finishes up in verse 34. Pretty, he does not mince his words. And he says, well, those who pro proclaim to have knowledge and deny the resurrection. They don't really know God. So Paul is trying to get at this truth. That the resurrection is our Christian hope. J.R.R. Tolkien says, The birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus means that one day everything sad will come untrue. This is our sure hope. And so I have to ask you this morning, have you lost hope? I pray that you'll be encouraged this morning as you remember that we have a God who can and is making all things new. Okay, let's finish up here. Resurrection life is all about living love. We see in verses 35 to 49, Paul speaks of the transformed resurrection body. So we know that the dualists, right, the philosophers of the day would argue that the spiritual was good and the physical was evil. So they thought that the body was evil and that dishonorable bodies would be raised. Paul says this is foolishness. Salvation is rescue from death itself. Resurrection does not mean that you die and then you just rise, come to life in spirit. You rise with a new body. It's a transformed body. We know from our study that 
um, in verses 42 and 43, you went through these, that the body that was sown um, is transformed from perishable to imperishable, from dishonor to glory, from weakness to power. God's Spirit will raise Christians and give them new bodies that are immortal. They will go on, they will live forever. They will not age. They will not get sick. Okay? They will be incorruptible and absolutely glorious. You know how we say when we see someone maybe that's in their later years and they're ill and they're fading, and we'll just say, oh, that person, you know, it's so hard to see them this way because they're just a shadow of their former self. Because of our belief in the resurrection and we know what God is going to do with our bodies, I would say that you today are just a shadow of your former self. And you are going to be more you and more gloriously you and truly you and the best you ever when God, God raises you. I think it'll be kind of, it's beyond what we can even comprehend. In verse 48, we know, we find that the believers enjoy some of the blessings of the coming age, but we're still awaiting, right? We're still waiting it for, for um, it to be finished. But we know that we are destined to bear the image of Christ. God is transforming us by his spirit into the image of his son. We are being transformed by his love. Let's read together verses 51 to 58. And we talk about living in Christ's victory. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. We know for sure that we shall be changed in the twinkling of an eye. And God has already begun that work in us. But it's going to happen to our bodies on that final day where death will be swallowed up in victory. Love is the victor. Death is not the end. And so Paul encourages the Corinthians to be steadfast and immovable. He says, you know that your work in the Lord is not in vain. Be steadfast in the face of false teaching and various temptations. The hope of the resurrection should encourage the Corinthians to persevere in their faith. They must be immovable and active in the work of the Lord. They know that what they do will last for eternity. Let's just wrap up here with this look, not only at, in light of 1 Corinthians 15, but also in light of 1 Corinthians 13. Okay? 
if we give this little quick review, we know that the Corinthian church was a mess. They lived more like Corinthians than Christians. They were divided by their devotion to their favorite leaders. They were socially divided, rich against poor. They were spiritually divided, jealous of one another's gifts. They tolerated immorality. Their worship was chaotic. Their grasp of the gospel was pretty shaky. Many of them rejected Paul's authority. But he so lovingly addresses them as their spiritual father. He sticks by them. He encourages them to grow up, to get over themselves, to get along, and to seek the good of others. Paul is trying to get the Corinthians to understand who they are and where they are in God's story. He's saying, you belong to the Messiah. God bought you for himself through Jesus' death, and God will raise your bodies to new life, just as he raised Jesus. So who you are and what you do and in and with your present body, it matters. Honor the Lord in every area of your life. How you treat each other matters. The surrounding world is watching, and they need to see that resurrection life is real. Paul's instructions, I think, are given to us as well, aren't they? We live with one foot in the new age, and we are to live as resurrection people now. And what do we know from 1 Corinthians 13? What will last? Love. We need to grow up and get over ourselves. Our lives must not look like everyone else's in the world. We must live counterculturally. We must be humble servants and seek the good of others. We must be willing to follow Christ in the way of suffering, knowing that God is going to make all things right someday. We serve others with our gifts and encourage others in theirs. And I hope you will remember this from our study of 1 Corinthians, that the Christian life is not to be lived in isolation. You are part of Christ's body, his community. And as, as we look at the highlights of the, of the book in chapter 13 and 15, we have to know that, that the love chapter, this love poem that we pulled out and used at weddings, <laughs> okay? the point is not just that the greatest of these is love. The point is, is that our experience now is incomplete. Someday we're going to know God fully and we're going to know how wide and high and long and deep his love is. This poem is to remind us that love is our destiny. We were once dying in our sin and imprisoned by our selfishness. We're being made new. We're being transformed by God's love. So it is no surprise that Paul does mention love a few more times in the last chapter and in the, as he closes the letter. In 1 Corinthians 16, 13 to 14, if you want to flip over, you can. Um, he, he kind of concludes all of his instructions gives a summary in verses 13 and 14 of chapter 16. He says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men. Can I say act like women? I don't know. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. And then the very last verses, he says, the grace of the Lord be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. The resounding theme is this call to live in love. And I just want to give you this one verse, Romans 6, 4. 
that says we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We are resurrection people who are told, are called, and empowered to live lives of love. We proclaim that God's love is victorious over all the sin in the world. We know that resurrection means that we have the presence of Christ within us and the power of Christ to change us. We are not ruled by sin any longer. We walk in newness of life. Jesus loves perfectly and can love through us by his spirit. And heaven is coming to earth in and through us. We are the ones commissioned to advance his kingdom. And what's that looking like? Love in action. Because we know that we're part of the team. We're part of the process of ushering in this new world, this new creation. We know that what we do will last into the new age. So this sure hope of our bodily resurrection and Christ's return and his reign shapes the way that we live our lives now. And we are to be known by our love. It's not about us, ladies. We love because we know that others desperately need the love that God offers to them through the gospel. And so I finish with our little ditty that we've learned from the beginning, right? You got your motions? <laughs> the church is God's, God's cross-shaped community of resurrection people on a mission to reach the world with the gospel. Amen. Know that you can really just discuss the last few days if you, you know, you're short on time because we've kind of gone through a lot of the first three. <laughs>